0: The Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Wire World Pro
1: Audio. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome
2: to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez, and before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here, on my right, we've got the one and only, Mr. Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. (laughs)
1: Hello, Rob. Wow. How are you both
2: this evening? That's so understated. Well, we're doing great. And across the table, we've got the Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast. This is show number 229. The one and only Rob Arveteer. Hey, Rob. Hello, Mike. Hello, (laughs) Jenna. It's
0: good to see you all. This is going to be the kinder, gentler audience. I think probably not, but at least it it started that way.
2: Is this public radio version? Today
0: on Masterpiece Theater. That's
2: it. That's all we have. We got Nick and Rob. That's the whole show. That's the whole show. We actually had a guest schedule for today, but literally on the way up here, he called me and said he wasn't feeling good, and I told him to stay away.
1: Yes, in the land
2: of COVID, I'm not feeling well. Right, like so long. the day if you called in sick you'd be like oh he's not really sick right and you'd, you'd, you'd be able to talk about these people and no what a flake but now if you even say i've got a headache go stay home <laughs> yeah. yeah in
0: 2022 um, a simple sniffle means i won't see you for six weeks
2: uh, <laughs> okay. you know, I'm just that, reality. and on that note i'm hoping <laughs> my voice holds out because i was uh, zooming all day today i cannot tell you how much I despise Zoom calls. I mean, oh, I, I despise <laughs> them now. I remember when we first started podcasting during the during COVID. i are like, yeah, we're just going to stay on, you know, one a week. Because what else do we have to do? It. Granted, it was kind of fun at the beginning, but now it's just it's so. F- Why do I get so tired on because Zoom calls? they're awful.
1: Why? I have like six of them a day. You are tired of them because they're awful.
2: <laughs> you know, they're just horrible. I mean, they were better than nothing,
0: but yeah. they're not. Not pleasant. So
2: I have a camera on top of my MacBook that is connected to Zoom, which I can. Well, it's actually on my monitor, right? So it's connected to Zoom, and my and my my uh, MacBook is is over to the side, but the camera is in front of me, and then down below is my monitor, my big monitor so I can surf the net and look like I'm engaged because I'm looking straight at the camera. That's the trick. And uh, and you don't see the, you know, sometimes with people with glasses, you see the reflection, and you know they're surfing the Internet because you, you can see it in their glasses and stuff. So it was a, it's awesome, but it's still super tiring, super, super well, tiring.
1: And it's it's never going away. I mean, you know, for years and years, you know, at Disney we would have, Meetings in our conference rooms, right? Yeah. And you would be there and you would go to the meeting in the conference room. Now, everything is on Zoom. And even when you have people in the conference room, it's always going to be hybrid. It's always going to be a combination of, oh, you're not there? Well, just jump in on the Zoom call. And yeah. you know there'll be some people in person and other people will be uh, over, over Zoom. I mean, they put in all of these really fancy Cameras, systems, and all of that in all the conference rooms because they're like, yeah, this is this is this is life now.
2: Yeah, it's not going away. No. It's not going anywhere. And it's, you know, there's. I, I sometimes they're okay. Like every once in a while, if I'm doing a um, a project and I'm talking to somebody and you know a different country even, and then I'm here and then someone else is in another state. I, I think that is kind of cool. There's a certain coolness about that, but. That can only last for so. That's like a a good twenty minutes. You know, you get into that hour Zooms and and you hear people talking. I don't know. It's just sometimes I have no patience for. Just white noise of Zoom calls.
1: So, you know, we were putting on the brave face, and we did so many shows over Zoom. And look how excited we are now <laughs> that we actually in meet in person. No time. kidding, no, no, it's, it's way more stays. personal. It's so, so much more. It's fun. just
2: better—the eye contact and all that. Anyhow, so yeah, so that was that was my day today. So it's going to be a uh, small but fun show because I have some topics. This is our pre-NAM show, and we're going to open it up talking about the NAM show. The NAM show this year. Um, okay, for those of you, the four people out of our seven listeners who haven't been to a NAM show, <laughs> um, NAM show is the National Association of Musical Merchandise. Music merchants. Yeah, music merchants, something like that. Anyhow, it's basically a show where if you um, make anything that has to do with music, and manufacture anything, that's where you show your wares to people who own music stores and retail out, outlets and things like that. So that's what it's originally for. Um, but it's kind of grown a little bit more as more people come in because you can have guest passes and things like that. It was a closed show for the industry for the longest time, uh, industry only, and it was a great place to come and socialize and see your buddies. And you know, everybody would fly in from all over the country, and you'd see all the great, all the great stuff, and from um, all over the world, all over yeah. the world. A lot
0: of people yeah. would come from Europe because you know, in the winter time when it normally was, yeah. it was great to escape to LA.
2: Exactly, and and Thomas, you know, Thomas Vent, our guest from. Uh, our last podcast, that's where I met him, you know, and so, and he's from Germany. So it's great to, it's a great place to interact with all these people. So that's the NAMP show. Well, this year it's being held in June, so it's not winter. And also it's a, uh, it's a different show because there's a lot of players that aren't showing up. And all these players so far that aren't showing up, the ones that I know of, you know, they're all super booth people, for instance, um, Avid, Super Booth, right? They usually have a big booth. I know they're not going to be there. Um, Paul Reed Smith, I know they're not going to be there.:
0: Wow, um, that's a big
1: change.: Yeah, that seems like that is like the quintessential NAM vendor, right? yeah, really.
2: Uh, I know API is not going to be there. Um, I know um, Universal Audio, from what I understand, they're not going to be there. Um, and they were a staple. You know Their booth oh. is always in the same spot. I know uh, I heard today that IK Multimedia may not be there. Um, so there's a lot of people that aren't going to be there. Um, but, but it's then- funny.
0: I've heard some people lamenting all that. You have to realize the NAMM show is also like – tubas and piccolos and oh, yeah. you know there's right. it's huge it's still chinese metronomes huge. yeah Absolutely. exactly it's still massive but
2: then i also know the people that are going to be there for instance i know oberheim has a booth for the first time in forever they're going to be gonna showing be their new i know pmc is going to be there i know there's a lot of people that are going to be there so i don't know i just i it was really interesting. You hear a lot of people talking about how NAM this year is going to suck, and I always think of who is who is saying that, you know? Because uh, there's certain things that you can do at a NAM show that you just can't do any other way.
0: I also know those companies aren't going to be there, but I know a lot of people from those companies who are going to be there. Oh yeah. So it is a chance to make the personal connections just without this super expensive booth. That's true.
2: Uh, well, as, uh, you know, I'm friends with a couple of manufacturers, and as one of them said, that when they go to NAM, it... They have to. It, Nam has to pay for itself, mm-hmm. and it usually does, you know, several times over. But that's the that's their their thing is just Nam has to has to pay for itself by making the deals and all that, which should be everybody should. I mean, that's the way you market. You don't want it to cost you anything, but it has to it has to pay for itself. And so they just don't think at this one it's necessary. But you know, there's certain certain gear. I, and and I, I understand all the companies that aren't going to be there, you know, the, the ones that I mentioned, they're selling stuff. So mm-hmm. they they don't have to be there. But there's definitely certain pieces of gear that you kind of want to kind of see. And, and that's the thing about Nam that was always really great about is you're walking down and you just glance over and you can see a, a piece of gear that you may not – ever run across you're like oh my gosh what's this or who's that and what's this manufacturer what's that and Mm -hmm. you know especially things like um you know digital audio interfaces things like that you just never come across even at your local you know guitar center or anything like that and so i think i think there's going to be my prediction for this nam show is there's the big boys aren't going to be there but the little guys that are going to be there are going to have more room to shine
1: And it'll be more fun to hang out and look at that stuff. I mean, you know, uh, the things that I always liked about NAMM is where else do you get to go and uh, play a $150,000 Fazioli grand piano, right? right. (laughs) Of course. Unless you're in Italy or something, Mm -hmm. right? And so um, I've always liked that. And I've always liked sort of the also Rans, the small groups, the you know the people that aren't necessarily the Rollins and the Korgs of the world, you know, and to be able to see a lot of the innovation that's happening with the small mom and pop kind of groups. And so it'll be really interesting to see how much of that there is there. Aaron Higgins from our last show is going to be there. He he got a booth. Oh, that's um, great. Yeah, it is great. And you know, I hope that it, I hope that it works out for him. You know, that's a that's a not not insignificant expense for a. Small
0: mom and pop company, you know. And it used to be also that being at the show or not was kind of a barometer of is your company surviving or doing okay. Yeah, I think it's a little less of that now because yeah. so many of the big guys aren't there and because you can learn anything you need on the web. So um, for a few years though, like I forget the first year that Avid wasn't there or whatever, like it was just a big, I remember when Apple stopped going, like, oh, that's a big deal.
2: I remember that, Um, too, because they used to be there all the time, and then they they stopped. Well, and once you realize that
0: everyone on Earth is already using your stuff, like, why are you going to (laughs) spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars, you know, to bring all the staff and set up this massive booth and get all that space and expense when everybody knows, you know, what a Macintosh is. Like, you don't really
2: need it. Well, one of the manufacturers that that I know that's going to be there, they actually... Are using the fact that other people aren't going to be there to their advantage because they go look, where else are you going to get this much FaceTime with this many people? And, you know, and and if if it's a little less crowded, they're all they're all for that. I
1: am, I am fine about it being less crowded in terms of the number of you know people in the public that actually go because yeah. mm-hmm. it's you know that's always a little strange. Let me ask you guys: Are you guys going to wear masks?
0: Yes, hundred percent. I think so too. Yeah, hundred. Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Um, I'm gonna put a mask over every hole on my body. Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> because everybody catches a cold at NAM anyway. You know, yeah. they call it NAMThrax. Yeah, like.
2: NAMThrax. So,
0: it's so, a- and I usually am one of those people. Yeah, I'm gonna wear whatever I can wear. Yeah,
2: and I, I, just think it's. Although the risk factor, you know, I've been to pretty crowded places recently, so I don't know if it's any greater or any worse. But definitely, why hedge your back?
0: You know? Yeah. I actually got my second booster shot two days ago specifically to time it so that it would be at its peak at NAM. Oh man. Wow. Very smart.
2: My, my yeah. Yeah, I got boosted. My second booster knocked me out. But yes, I feel boosted.
0: Yeah, you must really be a wimp. Mine I like barely felt it. <laughs>
2: I am a wimp. <laughs> Have you heard my voice? Oh, okay, sorry.
0: Mike's not
1: a wimp. For those of you who can't see, he's six foot eight. He's an Adonis with gargantuan
0: biceps and long flowing hair like Fabio. Uh, okay, so really, and we'll be sharing whatever Nick's been smoking after the show.
2: By the way, Joanne just texted. Um, Have a great podcast. Oh, check As her we're out we're podcasting. Wow. So I figure since you do your. She preemptively did the shout out. Exactly. Since so you did your shout out, uh, she's totally throwing me off. Shout out in real time. Is so. Dave
1: Smith going to be there? They must be.
2: I think so. I mean, I know Oberheim, so if Oberheim's going to be there, I um, would hope. I don't know. Sequential. It's not I do Dave know, Smith. though. <laughs> that's right. Sequential will be there. Sadly,
0: yeah. I did just find out Joanne will not be there.
2: No, she will not be oh. there. And I told her the same thing.
0: But her husband, Andrew, will be there. So we yeah. get half of the. uh
2: hey, Tom Overheim's going to be there. That's so. awesome. that would huh? be great. You know? So, yes, I think. You know, you got to be prudent. Take the, uh, take as many precautions as you can. But there you go. Well,
1: I'm just going to need to figure out where I can scrape up five thousand dollars to buy the new OBMX. Yikes! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not going to
0: happen. But
2: I'm just looking nice. forward to to hearing that thing cause yeah. you, you know, I. Oh, well, that you can
0: do for free at night, so that'll be good.
2: I know, and the bite on that, like oh, good. just I, I want to play, I want to play with the the filters and the oscillators and just see how. Bitey, I can make it, you know, because that's the thing the, that the the Oberheim sound list it can go bite, but it also can do lush really well yeah. too. Like you do lush first time I heard like an Oberheim that one of their lush like pads uh, horn horn sounds, you know that kind of padded horn sound, then through reverb th- with a long Greenies tail. Is all oh.
0: So let me ask you this: which has happened more times at a Nam show? Somebody. Demoing a guitar playing stairway to heaven or someone Jumps playing jump. Playing jump on an Oberheim. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I knew where <laughs> you were going.
0: Which do you it. think has happened more? <laughs> I say jump because it's easier. It's than easier. I mean, the <laughs> thing is is jump. How many times do you think Tom Oberheim has heard <laughs> oh, people play but, that in an M but show? But the thing
2: about jump, it's not even on an Oberheim. Anything that has an Ober type of patch, that yeah, a brash sawtooth. I mean, I always assumed patch. it must
0: actually be an Oberheim It, original, it was an right? BMX.
2: Yeah, it had yeah, to be. Yeah. It was, but anything, any, no matter right, what OBX, synth I it was. Anytime you get that sound, they're they're playing it. They're yeah. they playing jumps. You know, that's the de facto, you know, sawtooth wave demo. But
0: uh-huh. there could not be a bigger musical cliche at an Am show <laughs> than
2: that. no <laughs> It's so true. That is so true.
1: <laughs> I hope they lean into that with their marketing. They stuff. should. At they
2: this really point. should. Just
0: own it at this point.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, speaking of the NAM show, you know, let's let's have a little bit of fun. Give me one of your uh, top ten moments of uh, being at a NAM show, Nick.
1: Well, <laughs> I was joking about this. I'm sure that one of my top ten moments um, is is seeing Stevie and his enormous retinue of <laughs> hangers-on walking through the thing. It's like, look, royalty has arrived now. And I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that Rob was there in that, although I don't know if I saw him, actually.
0: Yeah. What about I, you, Rob? I most likely would have been there. Um, well, it's funny. I have... I have, there's two sides of Nam for me, because I usually am there with Stevie at least one of the days, sometimes two, Um, and those days are just insane, because we always get uh, security from the venue, you know, and they're used to dealing with him, he's been going for a really long time, I've been going with him since, I guess, 86 was the first Nam show I did with him, Um, but they always get us a huge security detail, and people for the most part are respectful, but they're just so, like not even shocked to see Stevie because they kind of know he goes all the time. But when you actually see him in person, it is kind of an amazing thing. He's kind of a a much bigger presence than people think. You know, he's taller and bigger than people think. Definitely. And it's Stevie. It's just who he is. is, And he's usually there with like the flowing (laughs) robes and a million people. And it's just, I don't know, it's kind of like, uh, it's almost like royalty has arrived. Absolutely. And the reaction so many times like people will come up just sobbing crying saying thank you for my life like i remember there was a woman who kept saying that a couple years ago wow. and he's had that much of an impact on people and he's always very he's always very gracious about it you know and if it's not if the crowd's not too big he'll stop for pictures although if the crowd gets big security wants us to keep moving yeah. but so i have a <laughs> lot of memories of just the amazing chaotic zoo that is stevie at the nam show and then what i would usually do with <coughs> excuse me along with uh, Lamar and Christian and some of the other good guys who uh, work with him, we'd sort of scope out what's the next booth we're going to go to, then the booth after that, then the booth after that, and we'll tell security. And I will say, all I, all I have to do is give them a booth number. Like, they don't care about any of the equipment. They don't care about any of the brand names. It's just, tell us what booth we're going to. And I give them a number, and they just... It's amazing. They usually put the biggest guy out in front, and it's just like a snowplow, just, like, <laughs> clearing people out. and And we can usually get through the show pretty efficiently. So on the days... When Stevie's there, I have a million memories, and anyone who's ever seen us there, uh, and Stevie loves to talk to everybody. You know, he tries to make it a big love fest, and it's always very positive. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it's always a positive experience at the end of the day. It's exhausting, but positive. Then what I do is, on the other days, I would typically go without Stevie, just so I can actually get some work done, and often follow up on the stuff that he played with the day before. To like figure out, okay, this is a new piece of gear. How can he get one to check it out? How can I get one for my studio? So I'll usually go to actually do business. And um, in those days, I'd say that's where NAM really shined for me because I did get a knowledge, like speaking with the people who have actually designed a new keyboard or designed some piece of outboard gear or even wrote the plugin themselves. The NAM's such a unique opportunity to to sit and talk to Colin from McDSP DSP yeah. or you know so many people. Uh, Glenn Darcy, I would talk to all the time about whatever his latest thing was. And being able to actually see these people, because we're all busy in our normal life, not that we're sure. not friends outside of NAM, but it's just a really great way to catch up with people and find out what they're really doing. Uh, and it's like the perp- perfect atmosphere to do that. So I have two sets of memories, but to me, NAM with and without Stevie are two completely different experiences.
1: All right, I have a question for you, Rob. Mm-hmm. Um, when, when, you know, when you've been with Stevie and he's going up to a booth, have, you know, when he goes and asks questions about a, a product, do the salespeople sort of lose their mind or are they able to kind of keep it together? <laughs> it's funny. There's,
0: there's a certain dynamic that I only ever see at an AM show, which is, I mean, they're, they're really shaky, but they're trying to really hold it together. Because not only are they shaky to Stevie, like Stevie will ask a question and he's standing there, you know, wagging his head back and forth. But there's also like a thousand people standing around all listening to them all of a sudden. <laughs> exactly. So they're instantly like on camera. And oftentimes there are people videoing everything. So, uh, like when Stevie would set, well, actually Eric Persing is really good at dealing with it. When Stevie would go into the Spectrasonics booth, he knew how to like do it just right. And if Stevie went up to play, he knew how to like keep the flow of traffic going. Like Eric is a pro at this and, uh, I've been thrilled to bring Stevie by his booth a zillion times. Um, other places, the the presenters just get really freaked out. And you can tell they're still going through their script, but they're really nervous. And And the funny thing is, Stevie's like the nicest guy in the world. He, the last thing yeah. he wants is to make anybody feel uncomfortable. But it's partly him and partly the fact that the crowd that follows him around, any booth we go to, they all stand around as if they're super interested in whatever we're checking out. And sometimes it'll be the most random. Mundane. Yeah, it'll be like a harmonica tuner or something. You'll have like a thousand people standing around like, oh, that's fascinating. Oh, I love that.
2: You know, one thing I noticed from, because uh, I've, I've followed Rob. Here's the thing. When Rob goes with Steve, okay, Steve, maybe because I worked with Stevie for so long, uh, but I actually like... I like watching Rob, man. He has his game face on. You have to, and he's just like, Foo, boo, 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 he's he's a step ahead of everything.
0: Well, we are trying to actually accomplish something, <clears throat> right? You know?
2: And and that's the thing. It's like, so I've seen Rob come and start interacting, and it's pretty awesome when you see Stevie go to like um, a manufacturer of like a new synth or something, and and um, you see that synth rep just turn on that that. You know, that charm, that salesy thing at the same time being an Oz, Rob says. Because I bet in the back of their mind, you know if it's a super high-priced synth, they're gunning for a sale,
0: right? Well, you know when they invented it, they were thinking, well, at least we'll sell him to <laughs> Exactly. Because
2: uh, Steve, you know, he, he likes to keep up with all that current technology and mm-hmm. stuff. So it's like, it's a combination of, let me try to land this sale, I'm super nervous because he's a legend, and this is my spiel. I'll <laughs> wrap I will say,
0: one of the funny dynamics, you know, some of the booths that he'll go to, he doesn't care whether somebody's a big company or small, he just likes cool people and cool equipment. So we'll go to a booth sometimes, and it'll Be a little tiny booth, you know, one of those single ten by tens or whatever, and so sometimes I can't even get, (laughs) excuse me, I can't even get close to him um, because there's so many people packed around. And a lot of people, when they see me approaching him, they just think, you know, who's this dorky old white guy? Like, like he can't possibly be with Steve. It doesn't (laughs) even occur to them. So I just often, if it's really crowded, I'll hang back. But what I do is like Stevie will be there and he'll be playing and singing and his hearing is incredible as it has always been. And I'll sometimes be standing way in the back of the crowd. I'll let him you know, do his thing and I'll be looking at the clock and realizing, you know, okay, we promise we'll be here at this time, here at this time. And then in distance, I'll just go, let's go like that. Yeah. And he'll perk up and we'll go. Yeah. So I don't actually have to be with him. <laughs> he knows my voice well enough that, or I'll say five more, like for five more minutes yeah, yeah. or whatever. Um, or I'll tell him like if the person he really needs to talk to is on his left, I'll just say to your left. Yeah. Do you um, do you guys come up with a game plan
1: before you actually go out to hit the show, floor?
0: Only in that he'll call me beforehand, uh, or uh, you know his other guys, and just say, "Look, I really want to check out so and so." Or he'll say, like the the thing that happens every year is he'll say, "What are the little handheld recorders this year? Like, mm-hmm. does anybody have a DSD recorder? What are the handheld recorders?" Because for him. Like a handheld Zoom type recorder is, is like a digital camera. Yeah. Right. And he always wants that to be the best quality. And he has closets and closets full of these things, as oh, you can imagine. But so he'll usually say, yeah, I, I heard somebody had a new keyboard, or I want to check out this or that. Um, or it's a category. Like, are there new harmonicas? Are there new pianos? Are there new uh, recorders?
2: You know, it's interesting. And and one of the things that it kind of clicked you know, years ago is that, with Steve, there is no browse. like we go into a big trade show and we can just browse and look oh, that catches you know catches your fancy, catches your eye yeah. and, but Rob actually is the browser for Steve well, I have to be yeah and, and that's and I always found that pretty fascinating It's like you know obviously you have well like, and Lamar and Christian show.
0: too, I say, God bless those guys because it used to be just me, and it was overwhelming and uh, I'm very thrilled to. Uh,
2: have them in the family. So if you want Stevie in your booth, the one you got to really kiss up to is Rob Arbiter. Okay, that's all <laughs> I'm going to say. I was just going to give some free name advice. If you want to get the man in your booth, talk to Rob. <laughs> I will say, well,
0: I I try to bring him to every booth that's interesting cuz he really wants to check out new stuff. So, you know, if he gets there and we don't have anything for, for cool to check out, it's that's no fun. But I will say also anything he likes at the booth, I can I can tell right away, and I know the goal is we're leaving with one. You know, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. It could be a grand piano. It could be a a microphone, whatever. If he really likes something, he wants to go from the trade show to the studio and start using whatever it is. So literally getting one off the floor. It goes to the Neumann booth, and they're like, here's our new U67 reissue. And he walks away with it. It it is. I will say stuff like that has happened. I mean... It normally happens more with the smaller companies who are so eager to actually get it into his hand, but yeah, it happens with anybody. If he hears something, I remember with the uh, the uh, Royer mics, you know, that kind of happened. Uh, there are some things where it's just like, I must have this. You know, it's that good. Royer mics are that good. They are that good, <laughs> and there've been plenty over the years. There've been you know hundreds of things like that. But so that's often my job. It's often why it's best if he's not there the last day, because if I get him there on uh, (laughs) the first day or two and then I can sort of bat clean up on the next day when he's not there Sure. oftentimes the manufacturers know that he loves good stuff and it's obviously a feather in their cap if he starts using their stuff uh, in some visual way so they're usually pretty cool about it. Wow, but all that's the, always the big assignment.
2: All the big behind the scenes is so if you go mm-hmm. to a game show and you see Stevie Wonder, just know there's so many layers to, to that whole thing. Well, visit. just
0: think about the great marketing <laughs> there is for
1: you know, uh, yeah. as you just said, you know, you make some wonderful product and then somehow you're able to get a picture of Stevie Wonder using it. It's like oh my well, god. Uh, many- I will
0: say more than one time if you've seen me running through NAM like actually holding a keyboard over my shoulder, Chances are, because this has happened so many times, he's in his car outside. like He's ready to go. He said, I can't leave without that thing. So then I go back in and say, Stevie's in his car. He really wants your keyboard. Can you just give me one for him to play with for a while? And then we'll talk about the business later. And they usually will say, OK. And then usually it's on the last day now. But I'll run out. They'll, they'll write me one of those receipts because he can't take equipment out with a right, receipt. Right, right. Right. Stevie and his driver will be out in the car with the trunk open <laughs> waiting <laughs> for me. I'll run through the nap show with this keyboard, throw it in the back of his car, and then he's off. And stays up all night playing it. You know, you've wow. right.
2: right. I'm glad you said what you said about work out the details later because Steve, you know, he buys his gear oh absolutely he is not and that's super important because if he walks out with something it's to try but then odds are there's a check coming back if he keeps oh
0: and if he likes it he's probably buying 10 more yeah (laughs) he is he is not just there to say give me free stuff he knows he can afford it and the
2: reason why i mentioned that is because one of my i got two highlights but i'm going to tell you the first one and it's it's just funny is you know for the longest time, I would work certain manufacturers. You know, I work with API. I work in their booth and stuff. And it's amazing to see how many pretty well-known musicians just use Nam just to get freer, you know? Oh, they, yeah. They want it's to endorse. Just, that's the challenge. They talk about all endorsing. Now we'll endorse and we'll endorse. And, and now with social media, I have a lot of followers. I'd like to endorse. I'd like to endorse. And I just want to let you know that that is endorsing and all that is such, it's such a dirty word to a lot of these manufacturers, yeah. you know? Because Especially
0: the more products you endorse. Like, it's. It, and there are plenty of people who are just thought of as endorsement whores who yeah. will just endorse <clears throat> anything that someone will give them for free. Yeah. And that kills your reputation, and it doesn't help the manufacturers at all either.
2: Right, and especially if it's pro gear, because guess what? They're selling to the pros. That's yeah. why there's a pro. You know, when you're selling boards that cost you know hundred thousand dollars, when you're selling speakers that you know cost four to ten thousand dollars to jump into. You know, the market is who you are, and I'll never forget. Seen and I'll tell you guys the name off the air. Um, he was a prominent drummer and he's coming around and he's trying to do a hard sell to get some some gear and and uh, just saying all this stuff and and I was I was just overhearing who he was talking about. And I can't I don't want to mention names because it's it's it was not a good look for this person, but. What ended up happening was, you know, he, you know, was telling who he played with and blah blah blah, and he has this and he does this, and it just sounded like, well, that's pretty much the profile of most of their customers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, don't you know who them. I am? Exactly. You should give me a free API
1: sixteen
0: oh eight console. <laughs> the line I came up with years ago was, "Do you know who I think I am?" Because <laughs> that's what the attitude uh, is.
2: Yeah, so it's I, I'm so glad, you know, when Rob says, you know, Stevie's getting gear, he literally. The gear, if he likes it, and if he doesn't like it, you know, it goes back, and that's that's the way it is.
0: I'm trying to think if we've ever returned a piece of gear. (laughs)
2: Probably not. (laughs) Because
0: a few days ago was my 37 year anniversary with Stevie, and I don't know that I've ever returned a piece of gear. So I'll just I'll throw that out there. (laughs) All right, because if he wants it enough to go play with it, it means he knows he's going to like it. So where are all of those keyboards? In many many warehouses and.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. His his when I when I and this was back twenty years ago when I first started working with Stevie and I got to go to the first warehouse. Mm-hmm. I I un, it was just an unbelievable it's like it's going to you know, Willy Wonka and the chocolate factory for gear. It's like anything and not just like current gear at that, like stuff from like like the 70s stuff also, that's so and it is in great condition
0: but also the quantity like it'd be like going to the willy wonka's chocolate factory chocolate factory if he had like five gobstopper machines like because because he wouldn't just have one you know it's cool so we got to have five <laughs> also a lot of that stuff he used to use on tour yeah so there'll be a row of i remember the first time i went in there too there's like a row of ARP 2600s and a row of uh, oberheim four voices and you know
2: does he still have the road cases from like in Square Circle tour, 1985.
0: I'm guessing yes.
2: So my my second story, and this is by far not only was it my top ten top memory of Nam. It's probably my one of my top memories of you know just music in general. Is um, at Nam one of the things that they have is every manufacturer usually you know if if you want to have a listening room they'll put up this big booth and you can go in there and they'll have they'll have bands play and not just like like, the good thing about Nam is you don't see just normal bands. You see, like, artists, you know. You'll see the big boys. Pasty had a uh, had a booth, and it was just this room that was probably, I don't know, 10 by 12, you know, 10 by 20. It was just a room. They had a drum set set up, and they had a bass and, and a guitar. Um, and at that time, you know, you just basically sat on the carpet, and you sat all around it. And... I literally sat right off the hi hat of Jeff Picaro. Oh man, playing drums, and I don't know who was playing bass, but and I don't even know who was playing guitar at the time. They were just grooving. And let me tell you, if you're gonna sit next to Jeff Picaro, the place you want to sit is next to his hi hat because that that's guy, where all the nuances. Yes, and that it was. I, I don't even remember anything other than him playing and just me being in awe that I will never play like that. Because at that time, you know, because my first instrument is drums. And so at that time, I was just going as a as a drummer, dude, because I was young. I was right out of high school, and, and I worked in a music store, and that's how I got in. And it was it was it was phenomenal to see I had never been so close to such a great musician in all my life, and so it's one thing to see them perform, but it's one thing to be right up on them and just to see them play and it was exciting and depressing <laughs> and it <laughs> well, was just, it should be inspiring it, oh, it was, no no and it was inspiring a hundred percent it was it was so inspiring, it was so good, and he was such a great guy. He was just joking and laughing and and they were just having a good good time and I just remember a couple of times he said something he looked over at me and we had made eye contact, and it was like that was just you know, I will honestly say I've been privileged to meet my two drumming heroes, which was uh you know. Jeff Bacaro and I also met Steve Gadd, but I actually got to work with Steve, Steve, so that was great. But like when you meet your legends, that just like oh, you know, it's just it was just really great. It was it was phenomenal, and that was that was Nam. That was back in the day, and and now they still do that. You still have artists, but it just it never quite anything that intimate. Then.
1: No, and the line is around the block, you know, for people to get in. To exactly,
2: see. and there was. I mean, we literally just walked in and oh uh, who's playing? Oh, Jeff, okay. And granted, you know, this is before the Jeff Picaro legend became the legend that it is now. You know, I mean, he's always been great, but you know, now it's it's just a, on a different level. But yeah, it was great, and he was just so good. So that was Nam Show, man. Nam has a lot of really great, great experiences. I, I
0: will say one of my favorite named things that has ever happened at Nam, and I just have to create a category for it because it was so awesome. A few years ago. Um, I forget who was, Yamaha or somebody had Stevie's band play, you know, outside, like, between the Hilton and the Mary, you know, mm, that, that big, big square, and it's, square, it's like yeah. a million people, and it's a great place to play. And so it was Stevie's whole band, uh, you know, Nate on bass. It was amazing, all the background singers and everything else. And But Stevie wasn't there. Um, but they called themselves No Wonder. Oh, that's yeah. great. Which was just <laughs> awesome. And the funny part was I happened to be walking out of the convention center with stevie when they were playing and i could tell if he had had time he was off to go someplace he was on a schedule but if he had had time he actually would have gone up and sat in because he loves to do that Uh, but he just loved that name too i mean how perfect is that that is so that is so great
2: (laughs) yeah nam so i'm looking forward to this nam and i think you know a lot of people are are doom and gloom but i think it's gonna find its own its own footing and it's nam you're gonna run into friends you haven't seen in a while that's right everybody's coming out of the you know of the covid you know isolation and people are going to be excited and i think i think you know i think it's going to be pretty cool i'm excited i'll be there all day so we'll see what happens I
0: mean, it's been a few years since any of us have heard like a really loud mediocre drum circle
2: yeah exactly (laughs)
0: Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it I
2: will tell you this though I don't think I'm going to be buying a lot of Chinese microphones this year because yeah. I don't think they're going to be there you know and that was always the, uh, the appeal is going down to Hall E and last day just going shopping just going shopping you
0: know but you must have one for every door you have to hold open at this <laughs> point
2: you know Actually I have a couple that are really good and I've got a couple that are really, really bad. And then I got a whole lot that are right just like yeah. I just need to capture the sound of an explosion. Okay, use this microphone. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I,
0: I don't Or like Scott would say, I need a mic I can shoot guns at.
2: <laughs> yeah. And I think I have I have two that when I got them home, they didn't work at all. So it was just <laughs> but you're talking about $10, 15 for a microphone. You're not talking, you know, spending spending real money.
0: And they often had really nice-looking cases. I mean, they were really oh, cheap, yeah. but...
2: No, they looked, they looked the deal, yeah. you know? Actually, my podcast microphones, before we got these, my podcast microphone was one of those cheap, cheap you know, uh, Chinese microphones. So mm-hmm. I used it for, what, at least... At least twelve years, mm-hmm. you know. I think we've had this set up for four, maybe five. So yeah, at least got the job done. At least twelve years, and it worked great. So anyway, all right. Well, hey, that that is Nam, and we're gonna we're gonna hop over to. I,
0: and I would say, actually, if people want to write in and say what they're, if you're going to Nam or you're interested about Nam, I'd be curious to hear from people like. I, I'm always interested to talk to people about their perceptions of Nam because yeah, it's, so, it's so different for so many people.
2: Especially, you know, we'll probably do a Nam follow-up. And that's funny. You know, it's so funny that we say that because um, I was talking to a couple of people today and trying to throw something together of people that are coming to Nam, So we may be doing a Nam show podcast like on the fringe of NAMM, so well, I'll talk to you guys that, cool. about later.
1: And not to put too fine a point on it, we'll all be there and our name tags will be on. <laughs> and there. that. If you see us, uh, hi. say
2: hello. Uh, that's that works true. Too. And uh, hopefully last but not least, there's probably going to be opportunities to actually buy lunch at NAMM as opposed to waiting right. in those gigantic lines that they normally have.
0: And I will say, please do not hand me your cd for stevie (laughs) because Uh, he's not even really uh, legally supposed to listen to it because he doesn't know if your stuff is copyright and protected and it puts him in a very awkward spot so every (laughs) nam show people are always throwing new music at him and uh i would just say just say hi and ask for a picture that'd be better
2: (laughs) that was always you know on a side note before we move on to to the last topic that was always the best part about being on tour is when when people would throw tapes and CDs on stage, you know, whatever the band was that I was touring with, I always liked to gather them and I would always listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> I would listen I would, sometimes. I would, I would listen I would, sometimes. I would always listen so much so that, that they would actually hand them to me knowing that I would listen to them. So just know if you throw it uh, CD or, well, actually, no, it I, w- I no, will gonna say this though.
0: Like there was one year where we were walking around and, uh, at the show, and some woman came up and just started singing for Stevie, and she was phenomenal. That's and I actually awesome. got her number and put her in the rolodex. Like she oh, was that's that good. Wonderful. So there was nothing prepared, and she hadn't been planning to see Stevie, but she walked up. She happened to be this incredible singer, and uh, it actually led to some work. Wow. So that can happen. <laughs> don't don't like plan your whole career on it, but it could happen. <laughs>
2: Wow, you just loaded a gun full of singers. <laughs> <laughs> hey,
0: if they're that good, I will warn you, most of them are not that good.
2: That's like most of the tapes I listen to. That's what was kind of fun is not listening to the good ones. It's listening to the bad ones because you're just like, this is a person that just really needs to edit themselves just Mm -hmm. take a take a listen to your own demo (laughs) and and then put it up against any other song on the radio and that'll just give you a reality check you know what so much of that
0: could be solved by just ask someone who doesn't love you what they think of it (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) anyway so uh
0: dare to dream
2: well dare to dream realistically um we're gonna i don't know how much longer my voice is gonna hold up so we're just going to keep cruising by I wanted to bring something up Um, there's a couple topics that we'll move to the next show but this one I I need to bring it up especially with you guys Um, so I was uh, doing some research on the internet and I came across um, some products that I wanted to check into and I went on to I'm not going to mention any of the boards but you know the boards that are out there you know the different websites that are out there and this one company was bringing out a, a brand new board and the amount of negative posts that i was reading just made me sick and it just was something that i wanted to bring up because these were negative posts not negative constructive criticism these were negative posts you know about things that you know if you, the old adage if you can't say something nice why say anything at all for instance you know if if a synth manufacturer is going to bring out a synth and it costs a lot of money well, you don't know what's gone behind the R and D and all the manufacturing and everything to get to that price point. So the first comment should wouldn't be like, "Oh, I guess I'm not going to get it," and it's like, "Oh, well, that's overpriced by about you know X amount of dollars," and just all this negative stuff, and then just like, "Well, I can't wait till Behringer copies this one," you know, and it's just, and I'm like, and I'm sitting there, and I'm like, that's just like, that's just what. Why, why do people think that we even want to hear their opinion about that? You know? I mean, it's so... And just getting negative comments like that. And I've come to the conclusion that, <clears throat> that some people find their self-worth in their gear and a lot of people feel like they need to defend or they need to tear down manufacturers and gear like if you're playing um korg and you have a korg you know workstation and roland comes out with a good workstation you know sometimes you see Korg guys shooting bullets over at the Roland side and then like there's your gear does not have to define you you do not have to go on the offensive and 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 you don't have to feel like you need to defend your gear. Do not find self-worth in your gear. Be willing to look at your gear as exactly what it is as a tool. And I think a lot of these negative comments come from people that are so personally wrapped in what their gear is, you know? That's the whole thing about, you know, speakers, and you know, I'm a genelic person, or I'm a barefoot person, or I'm a PMC person. You know what? You can be all those people. You can. You can. There's no reason why you have to be any of those people. And you buy the tools for whatever work. And I just, you know, I'm so tempted to start calling out these things online as I read them, but I don't. <laughs>
1: but it's, it won't get you anywhere.
2: No, I know. But I just, I just, and I think here's the thing that I wanted to bring up. All this to say is, do you think some people are way too wrapped up into their gear as opposed to into what their gear does? Like, take it personal. I mean. I don't know how that how that is, but I know uh, you just read these comments about people that are defending gear, and it's like, why do you feel like you have to defend that piece of gear? Why is there that? Why is that? I don't understand that because
1: it's not necessarily about the gear it's about getting attention right i mean don't you remember you know i remember being a kid and my dad would say to me you don't care if it's positive or negative attention as long as you get attention right mm-hmm. and you know there was some i mean he was right <laughs> there was some <laughs> like i just don't- so i mean trolls that are out there you know that are saying things to to you know, to piss other people off, you know, they're eliciting an emotional reaction from other people. And whether it's, you know, gear sluts or tape up or, you know, any of those websites, none of which I look at anymore. Anytime there is a question, you know, within, you know, or very often within like 10 responses, all of a sudden it would devolve into this stupid trolling flame war. And it's like, all right, you know, check, please. I'm done with this now.
2: I just, you know, I I just don't – yeah, you're you're right. But nobody's, like, gained, you know, a gazillion followers because they left a trolling comment. I just don't know anybody who follows trolls. But
1: it's people who want to prove that they're right – right uh, you know rob i'm sure you've seen on 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 stack overflow i have many times you know if somebody's asking a coding question mm-hmm. and there'll be some know-it-all who pontificates you know oh well you're just too dumb you don't understand the right way to be able oh, to yeah. do this thing and it's it's just people it's free to write things on the internet it doesn't cost anything and so therefore people because of the fact that I'm not having a conversation, I'm you know the guy isn't respo- isn't responding to that other person face to face. All the social norms that would keep them from you know being as much of an ass in person are gone. You're just talking to some you know you're talking to some username that's you know involved on you know that's on some bulletin board and it doesn't it's 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 not a real person to you and so therefore you can be as rude as you want. Right.
2: I just think. <clears throat> I just think you, if you're defending gear, and if you're locked into a piece of gear, if you're locked into a manufacturer, you are not going to reach your potential. Well, it's it's
0: like a plumber in a plumber form, like defending your wrench. Like who cares? <laughs> like all that matters is what you do with it. Yeah,
2: and and you got to be able to. Uh, here's here's something I heard. Uh, <laughs> Harbor so, Freight, no you know, Craftsman. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. I, I went. um, So I went shopping. I <laughs> I went to Guitar Center. All right, because I was. Um, I'm working on this project, and I'm going to be working in another city for a little bit. So I was thinking, you know what? I'm gonna. I'm gonna see how much I can get some small speakers for this this place that I'm going to be working in for a little bit. Um, And so I wasn't going to buy them at the guitar center I went to. I just knew there was a guitar center in the city that I'm going to. So I just want to hear it here. And then when I get there, I'll put it up because that way I don't have to ship it or do anything else. And that just it inexpensive. So I was willing to look for new speakers. And I did find when I was at the guitar center, I did find... um, um, IK Multimedia, the MTM version of their speakers, which is not the tiny ones, but the next step up. And oh my gosh, they sound phenomenal. And I just want to say, if you want, if you have eight hundred dollars, because they're as expensive as hell, um, that they're just amazing speakers. They're just really great. But having said that, um, they're on sale for two hundred each, and I still didn't buy them because it's just, eh, you know, I, I don't think I'd pay eight hundred. They sound great, but they fall apart when you pump volume through them. It was just collapsing. Anyhow, as I was there, another guy came into, you know, the demo rooms at a Guitar Center. They had sure. all those different speakers and he was talking to the guy. And he said something like, well, I've been a JBL guy for like 25 years. And I'm just like, in what universe is that a, like, positive, like, oh, look at me, I'm a JBL look guy. Look at me, I'm close-minded. <laughs> exactly. And I was, I just felt so... Jangly but loud. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that just, like... Oh my gosh! If you tie your career, if you tie into like I'm a JBL guy, I'm a, even if you are like I'm a General guy. Like I've worked on tons of speakers. I've worked on KRKs. I've worked on Generalics. I worked on Generalics for. 25 years, you know, and, and, uh, and they sound great and I don't have anything, but now I'm a full PMC convert. I love PMC. That's like there, I could not talk more about them, but you just got to be flexible. You got to be able Absolutely. to move and you got to be able to like, don't, don't, you know, you will evolve if your opinions evolve. If you want to move forward, let your opinions move forward. Let how you use gear move forward. Just Don't get caught up into feeling like you have to stick with X, Y, and Z manufacturer. Don't get caught up that you have to defend them, you know, because you're just going to look like a boob on on whatever form, you know? A lot of times it's
0: not defending the gear as much as the fact that you spent a bunch of money to get the gear. Right. Right. So you're defending your own sort of intelligence almost. Well,
2: that, I, that I can understand. And, and look, gear's not cheap. And if you spend a bunch of money on, on X manufacturer, let's say you spend $3,000 on a set of speakers for this company, and then all of a sudden this company comes out with a set of speakers that's $2,500, but that people are saying sounds amazing. I get it. You're going to be like, Wow, oh, I'm kind of missing out. But no, you've got what you need. Do it right now. And that's who it is. And then look, guess what? No one's holding you to stay on those. You can sell those speakers well, if you want. If you have a different tool, it meets your need. Yeah,
0: and your audience, whatever field you're in, your audience doesn't care what gear you use. Exactly. Just like they don't care how long it took you to do your project. Like, if you are a genius and you did it overnight, that's great. If it took 10 years, who cares, as long as it's great. So mm-hmm. worry about the final product. And these days, I've said this before, but basically any gear you can buy right now is good enough to do something.
2: That's you know, true. there are
0: hit records being made on phones, so... You know, the gear is not the limiting factor anymore. And what you do with it is limiting factor. So get the gear that lets you be creative. But, yeah, I mean, it's gotten to the point. I've been getting a lot of tracks in from different producers for a new project I'm working on. I want to find out later what they used. But really, I just want to know, does it move me? You know, do I like right. do I like what they did? That's all that really matters.
2: And ultimately, let's face it, okay? it all kinds of starts to sound the same.
0: <laughs> well, it's all good enough at this point. It, it right. didn't used to be that way. Like back in the 90s maybe, like if you were recording on one kind of recorder versus another, you could tell in the product like, okay, that's good enough and that's not. There's, that's not the case there's anymore. There's
2: so many ways to manipulate sounds nowadays that it doesn't like it doesn't really matter. Okay, if you use this synth or that synth or this thing, it just it's just who knows what you're going to, between the EQs and the reverbs and all the all this special DSP that you can do, it's just, you know, just use the tool. No one's going to be, no one's looking for the the notes on what, like you said, what, what gear you're using but, for that demo. But
0: be really good at using whatever gear you have. Right. That's the thing. You
1: know, I think that ultimately, because you're absolutely right, Rob, It's there. there is no reason anyone can't do any fantastic work on anything. We're recording this podcast, you know, on a Zoom recorder and... And it's great, and it costs less than a thousand dollars, I'm sure. And it's, it's
2: a less
0: multi-trail. than four hundred dollars.
2: Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, we started the podcast. We used to record on a big Pro Tool system I back remember. in the other place, and it this was is just HD fine. system, and there was. And know, we could still like do that if grand. it mattered, but it just doesn't matter. It doesn't, matter. It doesn't, matter. It doesn't it? Doesn't matter at all.
0: So what? What
1: I was going to say, really briefly, is what ultimately is is of relevance of relevance, at least. It, the way that I think about it, in terms of your relationship with your equipment, the equipment that you use to be creative, um, it really comes down to sort of a workflow. Process kind of thing, right? So there are tons of people that are super creative using uh, synths that are just plugins, right? And they're they're virtual and they've got a MIDI controller or they don't and they're just using their mouse and they're perfectly happy creating stuff that way. For me, I need for it to be tactile. tactile. If I'm going to be doing something creative, for me, it's all about what's happening in the moment. And so I've developed my recording studio in the place where i actually make art as opposed to you know sort of the stuff that i do for a living um completely reflecting of that right everything that i do whether it's mix i'm using an analog console so therefore i'm mixing in the moment and you know i record yeah. that little piece of the mix yeah. and if it's not right i go back and do it again and that will never be there again right um that's what i like because that is what lights up my imagination and fosters my creativity. So the thing that I would say to anybody is don't worry, you know, don't get, don't get worried about whatever gear you have or whatever gear you're missing out on, right? The fear of missing out. Don't do any of that. Just figure out what moves you, what workflow, what instruments really speak
2: to you and do more of that. Yeah. So true. You know, which I would say is you don't have to defend any manufacturer. You don't have to put down any other manufacturer. But if you want to love the gear you got, there's no problem like that. If you want to shout on the top of the mountain how great this is for you and this is the way you use it and why it works great with your workflow, those are the kind of comments I want to read online. I want to see like, oh, that, that works. Oh, okay. Yeah, I can see that. Maybe I can work that. That's the kind of stuff that, that I – I respect and I react to. So just get rid of all that negative is negativism And, uh, all right. Just be, just
1: get rid of all of that negativity. There you know, you we, go. Have, more than, we uh, have more than enough of uh, in the world. Hey folks, how about just trying to be civil to each other? I, mean, okay? I, just I, mean, just
2: I could not think of the word negativity. I, I glitched. And I think it's because I don't have a lot of negativity. in me. you are huh? a pretty
0: optimistic <laughs> person, my friend.
2: So I glitched on negativity, but yeah, but so you're full of negativism. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a long day. <laughs> yes, it has. It's is. been a long day. <laughs> yes, but it uh, yeah, I just had I had to bring that up. And last time, this whole thing, like if you can't afford a piece of gear, that is not a negative. That is not a manufacturer problem. You know, it 's more probably more of a you problem. But I'm not going to go into your finances. But there's no reason why to 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 use that as somehow you know an evil thing against the manufacturer because like everything else, the market's gonna going to be the judge on that
0: i I will say i've in the past especially i've treated some gear as very aspirational like i said oh someday i'm going to get a so-and-so whatever it was like the uh the corgo oasis was kind of like that Uh, Right. you know i just as soon as i saw that thing i started drooling over and it's like well it's a lot of money you know i can't really justify it but someday you know that's going to be my beast and it took a really long time and luckily i found a a uh like some, when someone had returned so I, they knocked a few thousand bucks off which was nice but now I've had that thing for decades I don't even know how long I've had it 10, 15 years? You've had
2: it at least 15 years I think
0: and I just love it it's it's the flagship <laughs> and it's too heavy to ever get rid of it so right. yeah, I'll probably no, have it for life it for, but.
2: you've had it for Probably, I would say, 13 years, because I think you got it three years after we started the podcast. See, I'm measuring everything. Wow. Now. Nice so. to know
0: someone's been paying attention. <laughs> BP, before podcast. Before podcast. No, I think that's right. I think it was probably 2009-ish, 8-ish. Yeah,
2: because for the longest time, you were waiting for all that furniture to go into your studio.
0: Yeah. And, and I ended up having a table made for it. To- yeah,
2: and you had that, exactly, you had that whole thing, and gosh, it's... It's probably the best looking keyboard ever. It's pretty I, spectacular. It's pretty That was my jewel factor, and I never, I never made it that. And the truth is, my dream gear.
0: It, the software in it was always a little bit clunky and weird. Like you
2: stole my dream. Just so you know, you, you my dream. Well, that's good. That's what I time live time for. I see that keyboard, I just, I'm all negative now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty
1: sure you could find a Korg Oasis on eBay if you I'm, really I'm want to. I'm guessing. No, you no, could. I know.
0: And you know what? It, I would say. Certainly as a physical keyboard to play, like with the piano-ish feel and you know the heavy action, it's a, it's a very nice keyboard. It's one of those things where when you buy something that's sort of the flagship of a manufacturer, you have to realize it's not going to be the flagship for long. So they're going to be pouring all their resources into it. And then as soon as the next flavor comes along, they're going to drop it. Which and, is
2: the M1. Mine, I went from the yes, core
0: to the M1. They kind of had that issue where like, all the development is amazing for a while. And then one day it's like, no more updates. And it's kind of clunky, and it's never going to be updated again. And, <laughs> and that's kind of where the Oasis left off, although I do still love it.
2: And I did end up getting my M1. So yes, you did. So I, I did get one of my dream keyboards. Two two dream keyboards, the M1 and also the Wave Station. Like, when I first saw the Wave Station, I was like, oh, someday I got to own this. And then when I was working with Natalie Cole, they had one on tour, and I, was, and I would always play it and check and I was just like, oh, someday. And when I finally did get it, which was years later, I saw it used at Guitar Center. I bought it. And I bought it for 400 bucks. There so you go. You I, go. $400 I got it and I got home I'm like oh yeah this is nice <laughs> I've, I've got to tell you my aspirational
1: story then if we if we do, do we have yes, a, a point for another another story along these lines okay I didn't mean so. to interrupt
0: you Rob no that that's right. fine so
1: oh god so this must have been in the early 2000s right um I was spending all of my time, you know, reading tape op. I was playing in bands at that point and so we were going out and we were recording, you know, at analog recording studios and all of that kind of stuff, right? So I was like, "All right. My aspirational device of creativity is going to be a multi-track tape machine because I'd started oh, yeah. with like half-inch eight-track Tascams and things like that, but I was like, I'm going to get the real one." So, I found on Tape Op somebody selling an Ampex MM1200 a 16 track 2-inch tape machine in New York. And I was like, that's going to be it. So I bought it, you know, over the over the thing. I built a crate, got on the plane with the crate so that Jeez. I could go to New York, pick it up. It was in like one of those walk-ups and they said that they didn't have a working elevator, which I later found <laughs> out was a lie, oh, but yeah. in any case, we were Pulling this Ampex MM MM1200 down the stairs, you know, bang, 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 (laughs) as it comes down, get it down to, to, you know, the sidewalk in New York City. I put it into this crate, knock it all together with a hammer and nails. It goes right on a truck and goes away. And I then, you know, I then fly back to California. I wait and wait and wait. (laughs) The thing arrives. Um, I immediately have somebody look at it. They say, yeah, it's working. Uh, I got it all up and working, did all the wiring, did all the everything, recorded about one album on it, right? And it really, really was great when it was working, and then it stopped working. And I was spending so much time trying to learn how to fix it, trying to, you know, recap all of the, you know, all of the electronics, hoping that that would somehow fix a device that was, you know, twenty-five or thirty years old that was all mechanical, moving parts, and right. so forth, um, and it lost its like like the wave station for you. It lost its glamour after a little while. Well, yeah. And then uh, you know, then I ended up selling it. I was up in the Bay Area at that point, and I sold it to a heavy metal producer down here who was trying to get his mojo back by. Getting a you know getting a two inch sixteen track machine. <laughs> did you sell to, it for parts or did it work? No, it sort of worked. Okay, it it, it worked-ish, uh-huh. and so I ended up selling it for three thousand dollars, and I'd probably paid five thousand. Wow. And if you added all of the plane flights yeah, and all of that stuff, out, yeah. you don't want to think about it. Um, <sighs> but that was that was my aspirational. Yeah, this is great. And I'm done with analog tape now. (laughs) And then that's when I bought a radar. And that's what I've been using ever since. And
0: that'll get it out of your system. Yeah, yeah.
2: You know, there's nothing worse than buying gear in another state because not, not only do you have to factor in how much you're going to buy the gear for but then you've got to factor in how much you're going to transport it so yeah. I, I was in this is my last story on this whole thing but I was in um, up by Buffalo, New York um, Syracuse up in that area I went to a, an antique store and fell in love with a uh, Victrola um, oh, neat. record player you know with the kind that you uh-huh. crank and it worked perfect it worked perfect and there was a bunch of demo records and we put some good records on and it was great and then I asked how much they wanted for it. And it was this thing's a piece of furniture, it's a cabinet. Um, and they wanted $300, $325 for it. Jeez. And I was like, I didn't know anything about that, but even at the time, I thought that was a bargain. And, yeah. I, and I, I said, oh, OK, I'm going to buy it. So I bought it right then and there. Had no idea how I was going to get back to California, <laughs> so I said, "Can I make arrangements to pick it up?" The, the, the antique store—they were really great. And It's like the guy was like, "Yeah, sure, no problem. Just you know, keep me posted. You can keep it here for a few days." So anyhow, I found that they have um, transports that do micro like moves. What they do is they take your package and a bunch of other packages and mm. then they ship it all across the country. So it ended up costing me six hundred dollars to ship it yeah. from New York. I got it to my place. It's awesome. It's in my house right now. I love it. It's one of my favorite musical things. That's so cool. And it was, I did all this research and it was built in 1917. Um, And it was kind of the um, upper end TV of the time. You know, Mm -hmm. people would have this in. So they had desktop versions and this is the the cabinet version. And you control the volume by literally opening the doors. Like they had, it, it didn't have a horn. It actually routed the audio out the backside up around the, Mechanics, the mechanical stuff, and it comes out the front off this horn, and and you can open the door all the way for it to be loud, and then you can close. And <laughs> close does it still work? And still work? Yeah, you can still hear it. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, it works to this day. It, it still works. Um, it had just actually been reefed the, the motor had been refurbished, and it wasn't electric. It's a crank motor, so I had to get the cranks, and then you have to. The guy was really generous. He gave me about a hundred of the needles because the needles, oh yeah, you wow. the needles, and he gave me this giant package of needles. And um, and so I, for a little bit, I was buying up all these old records, um, old 78s. yeah, old seventy eighths. And and man, they are heavy.
0: Yeah.
2: And you ever see like cartoons of the day when they throw a record, how it always shattered, right? And I never understood that because our records were vinyl and they never shattered. Yeah,
0: right? No, the old ones the, did.
2: But literally, if you, you, it's it's like. It's like slate. It's like if you dropped it flat, it would just break it down a million pieces. So,
0: I have a uh, a quick uh, wave station story. If we have,
2: yeah, absolutely.
0: So, uh, yeah, I, I think I may have told us on the podcast once before. I'm not sure, but I I love this. That was episode 37. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So was, we can do it again. That was 14 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, it was. It must have been, when, when did the Wave Station come out? In the 90s sometime, right?
2: Yeah, it was. the Wave Station was right there after the M1. So no, no, it was back in no, the it 80s. Was, it was in the 80s yeah, because the 80s. I had
0: one in the progressive rock band that I was
2: yeah, using it in it was, at that time. So. It was the next big 88 thing.
1: 88 maybe?
0: Oh, you know what? Never mind, I think we may have to edit this. I think I'm thinking it's a Prophet VS story. It's a Prophet VS story. It's not a Wave Station story.
2: That's okay. You don't have to edit it. Tell, tell us a tell Prophet VS <laughs> story. Yeah. Hell
0: yeah. As, as you said the dates, I started playing through it in my mind. It's like, no, 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 that's right. No, this was Prophet VS. I'm not sure if I've ever told the story. It is a funny story, though. So, the Prophet VS was a really cool keyboard in that same time period. And uh, Stevie really wanted uh, one for the album, whatever album we were working on at the time. It might have been Jungle Fever. I don't remember. But uh, so we bought a couple of them because we would rarely buy one of anything. you know. We bought a couple, and I put them on stands. We used those ultimate support stands uh, that had sort of the two rails that the synth would sit on. And we had two of these Profit VSs, and we had bought them the same time. They were the same exact keyboard. I put the same patches in both. But whenever we would play them, one of them had vibrato, and the other one didn't. And so you could have the same patch... But it was like the mod wheel was turned up on one all the time, and on the other one, it wasn't. So we got, a, we got into this groove where whenever we needed a sound with vibrato, we'd use the one keyboard, <laughs> and then when we needed without vibrato, we'd use the other keyboard. Did I ever tell you guys this? No. no. It turned out, we found this out years later, and I think maybe Andrew was the one who told me, or Dave Smith. Somebody figured out what had been going on. It turned out that the aftertouch bar under the keyboard would flex... Uh, Because the weight of the keyboard sitting on an ultimate support stand, that little bar from the ultimate support stand would force it up and it would just bend the case a little bit. And so it was triggering the the aftertouch all the time. And for whatever reason, one of these keyboards was more susceptible than the other. But for long, I even had a little piece of tape on. This one has vibrato. This one doesn't. (laughs) And it never occurred to me to just put them on a table. Because if I had just taken it off the stand, it wouldn't have been a problem. But I had... Back then, I had what we called the circle of doom. I must have had like 50 keyboards in a giant circle. So there was no tabletop to put it on. But I just remember that. And uh, yeah. Back in the days when it didn't seem insane to buy one keyboard for vibrato and one without.
2: (laughs) That's a great story. Hey, you know, ending this whole thing... um, Let's end on a Wavestation story. Okay. So a few years ago, I'm on the Apple store and Core comes out with the app, Wavestation app. Yeah. Not only does it sound great, it sounds great, but they also have every card that they ever made That's right. for it. And it was like, 24 bucks. And when it first came out, you know, they put them on sale. So I think I bought it for like, I think I got it for like nine bucks. So my whole wave station kind of goes back to my iPod. Now I have it right here and I have my wave station with me.
0: Yeah. It's the only problem with digital sense. The software version is going to be pretty close. And yeah, let's face it.
2: There's no such thing as a vintage digital. So it's, you know, all those digital cords and all that, they're such a slave to the output of the actual machine itself. Whereas if you get it on the software side, you're a slave. You can always make... If your interface sounds great, it's just going to keep sounding better and better. Well,
0: and okay. if there ever is such a thing as vintage digital, I've got a PPG hard disk unit I'm happy to <laughs> sell you. <laughs> Does it have the PPG connected to it? No. Oh. All right, no, well, it's only the bad parts. Okay. Never mind. <laughs> hey,
2: man. This has been a really fun podcast. It really has. It's it been has. A, it's, it's been a crazy podcast. I just say, just, you know... These are crazy times. Yeah. But uh, it's been it's been really good. So, um maybe you know maybe that fourth person is really the odd man out maybe we
0: just gotta especially especially if that fourth person is Bobby Summerfield. Yeah.
1: <laughs> now I miss all those guys the it was crazy Aussie it was
2: it was fun uh, the uh, the anniversary show was fun with Thomas and Aaron and not everyone oh, that was, was great. a lot that was great it so was, it's good it to bring the, bring the family back together all right guys well if you have any well you know what before we go um, Nick you working on anything that you can talk about you want to talk about oh
0: I'm working on getting ready to Go to Nam. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Rob? Yeah, I'm actually working on something that's pretty crazy that I think I mentioned in the last um, show a little bit. I got asked by friends to be the music director for a wedding. And knowing these friends, it was not going to be a simple wedding because they never do anything simple. Well, and yeah,
2: when, when you're asking a music director, that you just know that's on another level.
0: It's on another level. But so anyway, it's evolved and evolved and evolved. And now what's happening is it's going to be an outdoor wedding. Actually, by the time this posts, it will have gone past, and hopefully I will have survived it. Uh, But it's going to be an outdoor wedding, about 500 people, in a very lovely setting here in L.A. And at one point, it was going to be a DJ playing all the music for the procession. It's going to be a long procession, like maybe 15 minutes. or a lot of people in it. Now what's happening is it has evolved where they're setting up a grand piano for me, basically out in this beautiful field where the wedding's going to be. And we've, I've spent a lot of time with the bridal party picking songs. We've got maybe 10, 15 songs picked out. And what's going to happen now is I'm going to have a grand piano with a beautiful PA system they're setting up. And I'm going to score the procession like a film. So because we don't know the timing of anything. So I'm gonna, I've learned all these songs. And I'm going to do most of it just by ear. And I'm going to watch the procession and basically score in real time the action as it comes there down the aisle. Go.
2: And that is amazing. And if anybody could pull that off, it's you, Rob. <laughs> well, we're going to find out soon. No, because you're a fan finna- Rob is an amazing, amazing player. That's well, all
0: I'm going to say. thank you. This is going to test that. And so the rehearsal is tomorrow. And the grand piano will not be there tomorrow. So tomorrow I'm just bringing a synth. But uh, the next day, the grand piano <laughs> will, <laughs> excuse me, oh will be there. And it's just going to be crazy because we have no idea how long <clears throat> any of this is going to take. Yeah. And also, it's a very long, complicated aisle that they're coming down. So... Yeah. It's not like you can have like a single person on the island play a song and then they're gone and then you do the next song. So I have to sort of morph from song to song. And it is the most eclectic music list you can imagine. I, I'm basically, I've been calling it from Mendelssohn to Metallica because both are there. There's a Mendelssohn piece and a Metallica
2: song. That's hilarious. Um, Wait, are you going to be able to dictate the tempo? So if you start playing fast, will they walk faster? And you start playing slow. That's actually good. I guess I'll find out tomorrow.
0: And we've got some in wheelchairs. It's going to be, it's... You're, you're going to hear on the news that Barnum & Bailey is back with their circus. I feel like we're sort of the test show tomorrow. <laughs>
1: wow.
0: It's going to be amazing. Oh, are you going to scream like Je-
1: James Hetfield while you're uh, doing the Metallica thing? Definitely not. Yeah.
2: I, can I be your plus one? I just want to see that. <laughs> well, I, they are going
0: to video it, apparently. And I did, uh, yeah, it's at one point I was going to have other musicians play with me because I have some other great players that I found for the party itself afterwards. But then I thought, you know what? This is going to be down to the wire. I'm going to need to be able to change On a dime, and I really need just the freedom to do whatever happens to come out of my fingers. So I said, you know what? I'm just gonna do this solo. As long I said, as long as it's a big, beautiful piano, it's gonna be a a C7, Yamaha. I said, as long as it's a beautiful piano with a good PA and a sub and I can really like, you know, own the audio space, it'll be fine. Because if I had I was thinking of a cello and a flute and a violin and a harp and all these other things, and I thought it's just a train wreck waiting <laughs> to happen.
2: That, yeah, that was a smart thing to do because talking about a pressure gig, Rob. Let's see, a wedding, five hundred people, having to score real time, learning, you know, however many songs. Bro, I don't think you could put yourself in a more high pressure gig than that.
0: It's going to be amazing. And uh actually one of the things I want to talk to you guys about and we don't have really much time but for miking the piano out in that uh right live environment actually can we take uh three minutes sure I let's just I'd love to hear uh, some pontification because the sound company they're not used to doing things on the level that I really want this to be because if the piano doesn't sound great this whole thing's going gonna be a fiasco well let me ask yeah.
2: you one quick question are you opposed to keeping the um, lid down or or
0: I mean, for showiness, it would be nice if it was at least up a little bit, but it doesn't have to be wide open. And if down was going to sound significantly better, we would do down. I was thinking maybe the short stick, um, but there's no rule. Yeah,
2: I wouldn't say all the way down either. I I was thinking to to close it, only because, especially if you're outside, um, just as much control as you can have.
1: I'm going to go the other way open it up uh, not only open it up here here's the problem that i've ever I had i would listen
2: to nick <laughs> <laughs> so the, the the the
1: the kicker is the fact that it's outside yeah. if it was inside i would be able to pontificate and tell you very strongly what i think you should do yeah that's but what it, most I, of
0: my experiences too. Yeah,
1: yeah so so here's my thought i have never liked the sound of a close mic piano i've never liked the you know sort of the standard take a pair of AKG 414s or whatever and put them two inches above you know the strings one near the treble and one near the bass right because
0: your audience would never stick their ears in
1: the piano while you're playing anyway it, it doesn't sound it doesn't sound good and so I've always experimented with um putting mics outside the piano, with usually with the big stick, with the lid all the way up, and then having a pair of microphones maybe four to six feet away from the instrument, depending upon how much room to piano you want to get. The other thing that I have done that I really like um, is actually I have recorded the piano Behind me, sitting at the piano playing it. So rather than sitting where the strings are, it's like, well, wait a minute. I want to hear the piano the way that I hear it while I'm playing it. That's interesting, yeah. And so I've put like a pair of ribbon mics up, you know, shoulder height or a little higher, pointing down into the piano. And that's been a really interesting uh, so, sound yeah, as well. I think
2: everything you're talking about is great in indoors. It, but for outdoors, but it, think, it's out the see, window. See, I think outdoors, I, I reverse. I think I would go more towards closed. Yeah. And the fact that Rob is. Tr- <laughs> If you're gonna, if you want a piano to sound like a piano, there is no doubt, hundred percent opened. You you, you want to give it some air. But if you want a piano that just needs to be musical and can morph, you can't beat close micing it because you're gonna get consistent tone and and you can even make the thing growl if you need to. You know, depending on how you what, what you run it through. I mean, there's I don't know. I, I think I think in this I think if you tried to outdoors you try to back the mic off you just well, all that ambience is just gonna push.
1: maybe what you do instead is you still mic it outside of the piano but just outside of the piano right so the music has got the chance to coalesce to bounce off of the lid and then come towards the microphone but then your
0: stereo is not low notes on one side high on the other no, then it's, it's just not. a stereo just it's a just, nice it's stereo just feel. a
1: nice sounding piano right
0: yeah
2: and it's yeah that's gonna be interesting i i man outdoors though you got the ambiance. you're gonna and have, and have experiment, like, not, not to experiment like you not and to I- mention wind factor that's the thing right. too it's like i i totally agree everything you said if you were inside i'm on your team but i just think outdoors <sighs>
0: the the other thing is i know they're gonna have uh I think it's a QSC twelve point two system or something like that, where wow. there's gonna be front speakers with the sub. And then there are gonna be side uh monitors as well. So it doesn't it's not like the front has to serve the whole uh the whole thing. So I'm hoping that means the volume can be down enough that we're not dealing with feedback issues. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen the space yet, so I don't know how it's going to be laid out. But Bring
1: bring as many different mics as you can. Bring omnis I and bring cardioids.
2: the Give yourself
1: the time to experiment. I
2: we'll would have start, a little time. I'd start with the 414s. Right? Well, that's what yeah. I'm bringing, actually. I would just pop yeah. those suckers in there. Because you can
1: use it in omni or hypercardioid I would, or cardioid yeah. I would keep it.
2: I mean, if you really want to be kind of hip, you mic it with three, you put two on the inside. Then you put a third one. Where the um, you close it just on the short stick and you just put it a little bit on the outside so that you can get a little bit of the whole wood tone and then just blend those three together.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know the the person who's going to be mixing it. You know, there's a lot of unknowns here, and I don't want to bring like a, a bunch of mics. I did ask them if they had four fourteens, and they did not. So I th- said, I think I'll bring four fourteens.
2: You know what, though, it. I would say that make- I don't
0: want to bring I don't want to bring anything too delicate, but
2: I would make it sound good for you. I think the audience will will follow along with whatever it does, but since you're playing and you need to be inspired, I would sit there and wait until it's a sound that. that, Well, that's one of the reasons I insisted
0: on the sub. Like I need, there wasn't going to be a sub originally. I thought that's all I need is to be playing a tinny piano. That's going to be terrible. So
2: once, once as long as I can feel that oomph. Once you dial it in for you, however you place the mics, then that's that's the stopping point because that that's going to be the key to your success.
0: And if the piano sounds great, I think the whole thing's going to be amazing because it's very unique. I've never been to a wedding that was like post-scored in real time. Yeah,
2: that's that's amazing. The whole thing's amazing. So,
0: so I will report back next time. Can hardly wait to hear it. I'm sure it'll be a wonderful thing. Either way, <laughs> I hope so. Well, the good news in three days it'll be over. Either way, <laughs> <laughs> so that's, so that's what I'm up to. So, what are you up to, Mike?
2: Uh, let's see. I'm uh, I'm working uh, I'm working on a. Uh, I'm working on a pilot right now that I'm trying to decide if I can, I'm just not going to say anything. I'm going to play it. Safe. Which airline <laughs> oh, oh, for a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and yeah, it's like pilot season. So I'm getting, I'm getting some good work on that, on that whole thing. Um, and then, uh, and then I'm starting to shoot, um, a really cool film project. Um, then I'll talk more about that as we get going. But, um, does
0: the pilot world seem, I mean, the the delivery and distribution channels have changed so much. Is the production process similar to what it always was, or you has know, it changed?
2: Here's the deal. When I work on these pilots, these are for production companies that it's not like a typical um, network pilot where they already have the network involved uh-huh. and that they're, They're just going to see if this is going to fly on the schedule coming up. These are a pilot, but one step beyond that. They don't have it. It's not tied to any network. They're just production now is they're just like okay let's just shoot the show we're gonna get it on a pilot and then see where it can land because there's so many options now right. you can land on so many different streaming services you can land on the network see, there's just so many places where you can take a, up uh, a show um, and then some of these shows aren't gonna aren't gonna go anywhere you know and depending on what it is you know I did a reality TV pilot and there's not a lot of money in that, and so the aspirations that these people were talking about, you know, with their with their budgets and things like that, I just knew like, there's no way there, no one's gonna pick it up for that kind of money. You just know. Yeah, I've been working in this game long enough that, that you kind of know. Um, but others are like, okay, like the one I'm doing right now is this comedy one. And it's really funny. And I'm like, okay, this is going to land somewhere. I don't know where. I don't know if it's going to be necessarily a network, but it's going to land on a, on a streaming platform. So that's, I don't even know if there's even like a pilot season anymore because anything can come out at any time. Right. You know, so it just so happens that I've just kind of tied in with this group that's doing a lot of it right now, but, you know you could do a pilot in the summertime. You can do a pilot in, in September. So we'll see how it goes. Cool. Anyhow, yeah, so I'm working on that. So that's kind of fun. And um, just just trying to make a buck, just, you know, just being the journeyman. I'm one of you guys out there. So, uh, you know anyway hey if you have any comments or questions or you're going to just reach out and you want to say um, really nice things about us you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com
1: and if you want to troll us then <laughs> and please to, feel free to go to uh, go
2: to our Facebook page <laughs> <laughs> like that needs to be updated so bad um, but uh, yeah so from myself and all the guys here both of them <laughs> <laughs> thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time
0: we're going to miss you at Nav, Joanne. Thanks for listening to the Audio Nowcast sponsored by API and WireWorld Pro Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and features a panel with Rob Arbiter, Bobby Osinski, Scott Gershon, Nick Peck, Diego Stucco, Brandon Birdside, Martin Page, Bobby Summerfield, and maybe a guest or two. We'll see you next time we <laughs>